This is um, something that Christianity has confessed for 2,000 years. And um, as we take a look at Matthew, we're going to kind of look at the, we're going to kind of look at Scripture. We're going to look at two verses in particular. We're going to look at a section of Matthew, and we're going to look at a section in Luke. And there's going to be a lot of history in this because the virgin birth is one of those things that is so historical. Um, it's one of the first things that Christians confessed after Jesus had went up to heaven, had went up. So you've got the virgin birth, you've got the resurrection, you've got um, you've got the death of Christ. All these are kind of a package deal that go together. That's something that Christians, that we have Christians have confessed for a long, 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 long time. So, turn with me to Matthew 18. And if you put that, oh, you've already got it. Sweet. All right, let's read Matthew 18 real quick. And then we'll, um, I'll kind of uh, look at a couple things and then we'll come back to it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I'm going to read it off of here. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Real quick. One more verse, and we'll, we'll hop into this. Turn with me to Luke 1, 26-38. These are the two verses we're going to kind of focus on a little bit today. Luke 1, 26-38. I'll give you a second. Or you can just look up here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's an understatement. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child that be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. That's John the Baptist. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That was a lot of scripture to read all at once. I kind of wanted to get it on the front end. And uh, we're going to go back through it here in a minute. Um, Larry King. I'm starting off a summer with Larry King. If you've ever heard of or seen Larry King uh, on CNN, you know, he's, he's out suspenders. He kind of hunches over. He's like, what do you think about this? And uh, so he, he's a real, uh, he was a real popular journalist. And he, he always cracked me up to watch him because he was so, so expressive. He said during a show once, it was his 25th anniversary show. 
And, uh, you know, Larry, he takes calls from people all over the country. So he gets a call, and basically he was asked who he would want to interview most in history. Who would you want to interview most in history? He said, Jesus Christ. He's, a, he's Jewish. So he wanted, to inter- he wanted to interview Jesus Christ. So, you know, I think Jesus is a little better than Snooky or somebody like that. You know, somebody a little more important. Um, Larry King said... I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Listen to that. The answer to that question would define history for me. The the existent Larry King literally said his existence would hinge upon whether Jesus came of a virgin or not because if Jesus came of a virgin all the other stuff is true as well. So what does the virgin birth define? Does it define history for us? Um, it does. The virgin birth defines history for Christianity. Without the virgin birth, you have a lot of things um, from a Christian perspective that are missing. Um, so what do you do with the virgin birth? Um, like I said, I've never heard a sermon on this, so this is, uh, this is something you kind of sort of don't think about every day. We put up one more thing real quick, and we're going to jump into the text, and we're going to uh, hit the ground running. This is what we believe as a church. The reason we're doing this, we've went over, um, Luke the first two weeks went over um, Godhead, the Trinity. Who is God? Um, God exists. Here's how he exists. Then you've got creation. We touched on creation a little bit as well. And um, then you've got God's word. So God wrote this word to us. So now we're going to be going through the virgin birth of Christ after Kevin went through man being fallen, man being totally depraved. So um, we're going through our, um, our mission group at my house. We're going through um, the story form gospel, and it kind of does the overarching story of the Bible, which is creation. You've got a God who created. You've got the fall. You've got something that went wrong. You've got mankind falling, going into sin. Then you've got redemption. You have Jesus coming, dying the death we should have died, to counter the fall, and then you've got the restoration at the end of all things. So that's kind of what we're going to be going over the next uh, next few weeks. So let's read what we believe as a church. We believe that Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, came to earth as a man, yet he remained fully God and was literally born of a virgin. Our hero and hope, Jesus came to reveal God to us and to redeem us from sin. This was accomplished through his sinless and perfect life and his work on the cross, our, clima- our climactic rescue. His death on the cross was in our stead and for our sake and was an act of love and obedience. We firmly believe Jesus' work to be an effective, sacrificial, and vicarious substitution. He voluntarily received and absorbed what was due for us. We also believe that after the cross that there was a very literal and physical resurrection from the dead. From his resurrection, Jesus went before us, exalted at the right hand of God. It is here that our hero and hope intercedes for us as a representative and advocate. We're going to focus on the first part of that because we're going to talk about the, the death and the resurrection of Christ in the next couple of weeks. So let's, let's go back to Matthew real quick and let's take a look at this. So Matthew 18. So Mary had been, she had been, um, kind of. it's sort of like an engagement. Betrothed basically just means engagement. They weren't married yet, but they were due to be married. And in that culture, you had kind of a waiting period, sort of like engagement, like you do now. And um, they were in that waiting period. They've, they've not consummated the marriage yet. She's still a virgin. So um, 
that's what makes this so interesting. She's a virgin, and what what would you do? I, I kind of think I try to think to myself this week. I was like, what would I do if this was me? And I hear that my wife's going to have a child. I'm like, what? You know, your your wife's a virgin, and you hear perceivably a virgin, and you hear that your wife's going to have a child. What would you do if you were Joseph? What would you do if you were Mary and you found this out? I can't think of what would what would be running through their mind. And so, in verse 19. And said her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He wanted to do it quietly. He didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want to make it a public spectacle. So an angel of the Lord comes to her, and every time you see angels coming to people, they're they're terrified because angels are not these little these little tiny fat babies that play harps that sit on clouds. Angels, angels in Scripture are much more scary than that. Um, and if you were to see an angel, I'm pretty sure you would uh, probably do a lot of what Joseph and Mary do in this situation too. So he, he comes to him in a dream and he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So somehow the Holy Spirit came upon her and made a child in her. His father is not Joseph. It's God. So he resolves to divorce her quietly. The angel comes to him, and the angel says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's out of Isaiah 7.14. Matthew takes that verse in Isaiah 7.14 and says that verse is referring to Christ. That verse is referring to Jesus being born of a virgin. So let's go to Luke real quick. Let's look at Luke. So in the sixth month, Gabriel, an angel, was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. So he was sent to Mary. He's sent to Mary. And um, he says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So she kind of freaks out a little bit. She says, but it says, She was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she's like, What, what, what do you mean? What, why are you saying that to me? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so, like I said when I was reading this, this is an understatement. This is like the understatement in, um, I believe it is in Matthew, where Jesus goes out to the desert. And he fasts 40 days and 49 and it says, And Jesus was hungry. That's an understatement. Mary said, to the, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? They knew virgin don't, virgins don't have children. Virgins cannot physically have children. So the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Key right here. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Why is the child called holy? Because the Holy Spirit has came upon her. It's a different birth. Jesus entered history differently than we entered history. So, so Jesus will be called holy. Um, basically, this makes the virgin birth of necessity because Jesus had to be sinless. To be a perfect sacrifice for us, Jesus had to be sinless. He had to be born different. Jesus is different. He's unique. And Mary said, and this is verse 38, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't think, if I was a woman and, and an angel came to me, I don't think I would have said that. What do you think, ladies? Would you have said that? 
Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I, I kind of still, I probably would have had this doubt about it. The mere fact that she didn't doubt to me was kind of amazing because I would have, I would have sat there and been like, what, what, what do you mean my wife's having a, a, a child and we've, we've not consummated our marriage? What, what, what are you getting at? So, the virgin birth stands at the beginning of the New Testament. You can't escape it. Super, uh, Christianity is, by its definition, supernatural. Um, it defies it defies our rationalism. We we don't have it, it's today. It's like we don't have like a category for it. it. It's a miracle. It's something that's happened in history that we, especially in the last two hundred years, we can't really put can't really put in a category. So basically, the new, it starts at the New Testament. It kind of says. It kind of says that if you can't get this part, Luke is saying to Theophilus, who he's writing the letter to, if you you can't get the virgin birth, if you can't get the Christ was fulfilling this prophecy, the rest of my letter is not going to make sense. He opens the letter with the virgin birth. So, kind of going through, um, now that we kind of went through the text, I want to go over the controversy of this, because this whole series is titled Controversy. We're going over our beliefs as a church, what we believe and confess as a church. So we're going to kind of look at the controversy of it outside of the church. We're going to look at why it's controversial within the church. Um, We're going to look at why it matters to us here at Legacy. And we're going to look at why it matters to Knoxville. So, controversy. He was born of a virgin. That's controversial enough. He was born of a virgin. That in and of itself is controversial. If I tell you that somebody was born of a virgin, that's controversial. Because someone immediately is going to go, that doesn't happen. So he's born of a virgin. So that's part of the controversy. Um, people just aren't born virgins every day. When's the last time Sally came up to you and was like, Hey, I had a child and I'm a virgin. And that doesn't happen. Another controversy that we have is... Um, we think as a culture and a society that we've progressed past the virgin birth. You'll hear a lot of people today, you'll even hear it from influences within, within the church, that the virgin birth is not something that is an essential thing in Christianity. You'll hear this a lot, um, particularly from some people, which we'll, we'll get with later. Um, C.S. Lewis, you guys ever heard C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia? I love a Chronicles of Narnia. I love C.S. Lewis. Anybody that can smoke a pipe and knows medieval literature has to be pretty awesome. So, C.S. Lewis had a term for this. He calls it chronological snobbery. If you've known me for about a month, I've probably said this to you three times. Um, Basically, what he means by chronological snobbery is every age has its blind spots. Do do you sit and think about what your grandparents used to believe? Or or think of what what medicine has done in the last hundred years. Or think of something. I'll give you an example. Lindsay Lindsay and I had the kids at my grandparents. She doesn't want to say. We had the kids at my grandparents. And my grandmother has this um, belief that when kids are... um, is Is it hiccuping? What was it? It's... Choking. When kids are choking, you put their arm above their head like this. It doesn't do anything. But my grandmother, we, uh, it was had in her Hudson a while. It's like a year ago. They were little kids. And um, one of them was choking. And my grandmother, <laughs> Lindsay and I started laughing because my grandmother, she was like, she puts his hand up and she's like. <laughs> so it was great. And um, we got a big kick out of it because medically there's no reason to do it. Um, see, every age has got its blind spots. A hundred years from now, people are going to look at us and they're going to go, Wow, they really had a bad view of abortion. Wow, they really had a bad view of this. Wow, they had a bad view of this. Wow, I think we've progressed past that. Um, It's kind of funny to think your grandkids are going to look at you one day and they're going to go, Why why did they believe that? Um, So chronological snobbery. You cannot refute something that came earlier simply because it's older. You have to prove it. Time, Time doesn't make something right or wrong. 
If 5,000 years pass and something was true 5,000 years ago, it's still going to be true today. So, something being found true or false would make it right or wrong, but not that time has elapsed. You'll hear a lot of people say, okay, Christianity can't be true because it's 2,000 years old. Um, the Old Testament can't be true because it was these shepherds and these nomads wandering in the desert. It doesn't matter what they were doing or who they were. What matters is whether the account of what was said was true or not. You know, maybe people 1,500 years right now may say that America didn't exist. Maybe there's no records left of America and they'll say America didn't exist. So... So think back to your grandparents when you, when you think about things like that. Think back to your grandparents and say, what, what did, or great-grandparents, what did they believe? You know, I could imagine when, when the car was created, when Henry Ford created the first Ford, I'd, I think I would have freaked out a little bit. You go from horses to a car. So I think that would have got to me a little bit. Um, an example I thought of this, people used to think the earth was flat. People used to think that you would one day sail over the side of the earth. We now know that it's round because science has shown us that it's round. Um... Same thing for the earth rotating around the sun. The earth rotates around the sun. The earth doesn't, the sun does not rotate around the earth. We found that out over time because that's something that can be proven over time. It's something that we have found out. Um, no one can disprove that a sovereign God can intervene and, ha and, and have a virgin birth. You can't disprove that. You can disprove the written record of it if you'd like, but you cannot disprove that. That's not a category that you can use science to disprove. It's something you either have to accept or deny. So the second one is chronological snobbery. Just remember C.S. Lewis and the pipe of medieval literature and you'll, you'll have all the rest of it down. Alright. This is the third controversy I thought of with this. Many people come to the text and they presuppose naturalism. Basically the belief that there can't be anything outside the system. A clo there's a closed system. Nothing can enter and out of that system. So God could not have, God could not have sent the Holy Spirit to have a virgin birth uh, on Mary. That could not have happened because we, we know that it doesn't happen because we're naturalists now. You know, we've got Darwin, we've got this long line of people. Um, it's a closed system. Um, let me read this quote to you real quick. No one can doubt that Christianity of the New Testament is supernaturalistic through and through. Whether we have regard to the person of Jesus or to the salvation he brought to men, the primary note of Christianity is supernaturalism. He who walked the earth as its Lord and whom the very winds and waves obeyed, who could not be kept in the grave but burst the bonds of death and ascended into the heavens into the sight of man, he who now sits at the right hand of God and sheds down his gift of salvation through his spirit upon the men of his choice, it were impossible that such a one could have entered the world undistinguished amongst common men. When people do not want to believe something, they simply do not answer the arguments. We can say we've progressed past that. That's dishonest. It's B.B. Warfield. So, a lot of what you're going to get out of the Bible is what you presuppose about the Bible before you're going in. The Bible stands separate from you and has a word that it says to us. If you're reading Scripture incorrectly, if you're coming with the wrong presuppositions, you will read it wrong. Scripture has presuppositions about itself as well. Scripture is a living, breathing word. That may sound weird, but it is. It's a living, breathing word. It has presuppositions about itself. It gives itself authority. Scripture stands as a judge over us. We do not stand as a judge over Scripture. So, think of your presuppositions. Think of what are you assuming when you come to the text. Are you assuming that the virgin birth cannot happen because of your, of your view of miracles? Maybe your view of miracles is skewed. 
Maybe it's not the Bible with skewed. Maybe it's your view of miracles. Um, controversy within the church. The church has believed this for 2,000 years. I said that at the beginning. So you've got, um, you've got the early church believing this through and through. The early church did not have a problem with this. Of course, there were a few people that didn't believe this, that they, they can't believe that a God uh, intervened into human existence. So in the last 200 years, we've had a rise, kind of got the enlightenment. We've had a rise since then of um, rationalism. We're rationalists now. We, have to, we think things through. Everything has to fit into this system for us to, uh, for us to understand it. Um, a lot of people in the last 200 years in Christian circles have denied the virgin birth. And there's not really a reason to, I don't think, because... The denial of the virgin birth, basically, if you deny the virgin birth, you're denying the authority of Scripture. You're saying Matthew lied, and you're saying when Luke wrote to Theophilus, he lied. He perpetrated a lie to achieve some end. And if you're going to do that, throw the whole Bible away. You can't, you can't believe in Christ. You can't believe in the resurrection. The resurrection is harder to believe in than the virgin birth for me. The resurrection and the death of Christ is harder to me to believe in the virgin birth. If you can believe in that, the virgin birth is easy. A um, couple of guys today, and I just say their names, not slandering them, just say their names because of what they've taught publicly um, and because they, they can be influential in our circles. There's a guy named Rob Bell, and um, he's written several books, and um, Velvet, Velvet, I believe it's Velvet, Jesus, Velvet Elvis? I just said Jesus, didn't I? Velvet Elvis, uh, Love Wins. He's written several books. Let me, let me read a quote to you from him. If Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry, and archaeologists find that Larry's tomb, and they do DNA samples, and they prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing. I didn't think I was going to make it through that word. Mythologizing the gospel writers. They just threw it in as an appeal to the followers of Mithra and I struggle with this word. Diocesan religious cults that were hugely popular at the time. There were other there were other religions that said that there was gods on earth. You had um, um, Hercules was beget or born by Hercule uh, by uh, Zeus having intimate relations with a uh, with a woman with a human woman. Um, so basically, what Rob Bell is saying is he's saying if this is true, he's not denying it. He's just saying it's irrelevant. He's not saying, I don't believe this. He's just saying, it doesn't matter. Basically, what he's saying is, if there is a... If Jesus had a biological father named Larry, archaeologists prove it. They have DNA samples to prove it. I can still be a Christian. I can't. If Jesus is not born of a virgin, like Scripture says, I'm, I'm dropping Christianity tomorrow. There's, it, it has huge factors when you, when you think of the virgin birth. If you can't believe the virgin birth, you can't simply go on in the rest of the New Testament. Um, so he wants to know if our Christianity can survive this. It can't. Our Christianity can't survive it. Because at best, Matthew's a liar and Luke's a liar. Um, Brian McLaren, you're probably going to hear more about him in the next five or ten years. Uh, same thing. It's not that he overtly denies it. He just says it's irrelevant. Um, really, a lot of people within the emergent church movement, which, which probably would... Um, would have some influence in our circles. A lot of people in that movement just kind of relativize the virgin birth, amongst other things. Um, James Boyce, he said, The virgin birth is not neglected because it has been disapproved. It's disregarded out of simple unbelief. You can't prove it or unprove it. You have to believe. You have to pick one or the other. 
you have to go to your grave picking one or the other. You either stand with Matthew and Matthew and Luke, and you say, "This is something I believe," or "This is something I don't believe." This is a um, this is a guy. He said this about Christianity a uh, hundred years ago, and it's still with a lot of what people call Christianity today. Um, I'll give you an example: Joel Osteen, for example, false gospel. He says this, and this was written a uh, hundred years ago. A God without wrath brought people without sin into a kingdom without judgment to a Christ without a cross. A lot of what passes as Christianity will do this. There's no, there's no wrath of God. God's all loving. There's no, there's no wrath to be found, which would make the Bible completely and utterly wrong. There's, people have no sin. We're, 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 we're born with a blank slate. We choose to sin if we do. And then we go to a kingdom without judgment. God's all loving. There's no judgment. There's no judgment upon, upon rape and horrible things that happen on the earth. And he does it to a Christ without a cross. Christ didn't actually die on a cross. They would say Christ didn't die on a cross. He, he just merely was an example. He was a good person. Christ can't be a good person. He's either, C.S. Lewis said he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's either Lord, like he said he is. He's a liar. Or he's crazy because people don't call themselves God. So you're either he either actually is Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. There isn't he's a good teacher. That's not a category Jesus can be put in. So that's a lot. That's a lot. So why why does this matter? Why does all this matter? I've said this a couple of times, and I came I came to this looking looking at the virgin birth. Like I said, I've not studied. I, I believed it, but I've not studied it heavily. And after studying it in the last week or two, the church is just it's just. What's the word I want to use? It's just full of confessions of faith of people that have believed this down through history. Let, let me read a couple of these to you real quick. I'll go through these real quick. These are a couple of the, these are some of the creeds that started Christianity. These date all the way back to the second century. Listen to this. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived in the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. That's the second, third century. Now listen to this. This is the Nicene Creed. This is 325 A.D. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, who for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is the Athanasian Creed in 450 A.D. We believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world. This is the Chalcedonian Creed in 451 A.D. We all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, begotten for us men and for our salvation, of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. The Catholic Church believed this all throughout the Middle Ages. The Catholic Church had no issue with this. From 500 to 1500, there's no issue with this. They, they believed this. You've got Martin Luther, one of the leading reformers of the Protestant Reformation. He said in the smaller catechism in 1529, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You've got the Augsburg Confession, which was a confession of Lutherans in 1530. They said also... They teach that the Word, that is the Son of God, did assume the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
you've got the 39 articles of the Anglican Church in the 1600s. And it says, Jesus took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin of her substance. You have the, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession in the 1600s. They both say, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This continues on down. Puritans, evangelicals today, us in modern Christianity. This is something that the church has historically believed. So to deny this, you have to deny scripture. You have to deny history. You have to literally take history and say, everyone came before me was incorrect and wrong. Um, this, this Bible you're talking about, this is wrong. That's what you have to do if you deny this. Second controversy. No, I'm sorry. Why it matters to legacy. I got through with the controversy part. Here's another reason why it matters. It makes Jesus unique. Um... Jesus had to be born of a virgin to be sinless. We inherit our sin from Adam. Jesus, born differently, because he was born differently, because he was born of a virgin, does not inherit the sin nature that we have. Therefore, he can be perfect while he's on earth and he can die in our place for us. Um, these are a package deal. The virgin birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, they're a package deal. You can't deny one without denying all. You can't say, you can't have it both ways and say, Jesus died for my sins, but this virgin, this virgin Mary part, I don't know about that. Um, Jesus being born of a virgin, I don't know so much about that. Um, I promised, I promised uh, Kevin and Matt and a few guys I was going to make a Jenga reference. So um, we're playing Jenga Friday night at uh, Kevin's house. And uh, Jenna decides she's going to come over and she's just going to just slap the, the pieces out from any of this. And so I'm like... And so she decides she's going to slap the Jenga pieces out. So it's sort of like Jenga. This is sort of like Jenga. I really, I, I'm serious. I had a sermon illustration right there. I was like, Kevin, I got a sermon illustration. This makes me so happy. Um, you take one piece out, the tower collapses. That's the game of Jenga. One piece out, the tower collapses. Christianity is a system of thought. You take the virgin birth out, you don't have the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, if he was not perfect, makes no sense. He's just Buddha. He's just Muhammad. He's just another religious, religious teacher. What I want to show you is Jesus is different. He, he was born different. He lived different. He died different. He's completely different. Completely, completely and utterly different. I heard one person say this week that I was reading, he said, If you could swallow the camel of the resurrection, why do you strain at the gnat of the virgin birth? So swallowing camels versus swallowing a gnat. The virgin birth, this is John Frame, he said, The virgin birth is no more miraculous than the atonement or the resurrection or the regeneration of sinners. Do you think about the... Do you think about the miracle that it is that you, if you're a Christian, that you believe, do you think back to your life before Christ and of, of literally you were, you were dead. Ephesians 2 one says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the prince of power of the air, following Satan. Yeah, you were doing what you wanted, but you're doing exactly what Satan, what Satan wanted too. Do you ever think about the fact that one day, literally just... Out of nowhere, you have completely different desires. You love Jesus all of a sudden. You, you, you get hope from Scripture. One day you're reading, you pick up your Bible one day, you're going through your Bible. I remember when I was, when I was in high school, I would sit and I would open my Bible and I would just look at it and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why does, why does a herd of nomadic people 
4,000 years ago make any sense for my life today. And then God comes in, changes your heart, and it makes sense. You can't describe it. All you can do is describe it to people. You can't force it. All you can do is describe it. And that to me is, is even more of a miracle than the virgin birth. It, it, at least equal. At least equal. I had to throw Junior in there. I thought you'd like that. Another reason why this is important to us as a church here at Legacy, it shows us that salvation is a divine initiative. We can't save ourselves. We can try. We can't do it. We can't justify ourselves. We want to justify ourselves. We want to say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. You know, Hitler was worse than I was. Mussolini was worse than I was. Uh, this person next to me is worse than I was. Our righteousness isn't found in what we do. It's found in Jesus who did for us. That's where our righteousness is found in. This shows us that salvation was God's idea from the beginning of time. This is something that God planned. We can't, if anything, it's a judgment on us. It's saying, I can't even have my son be born of you because you're so dirty. I can't do it. I have to do it a separate way. I have to, I have to go through a virgin to do it. We put Galatians up for me. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. This is kind of the story. We were, I was talking earlier about creation, fall, redemption. This, this is the redemption part. This is the part that shows us that God, God designed this. God did this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, <laughs> to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So fullness of time comes 2,000 years ago. God sends his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us so that we would receive adoption. And then Ephesians 2, 1 and 5, I referenced this a minute ago. This, if anything, shows us that we are completely unable to save ourselves and that God has to do it. Do you have that, Matt? Okay. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. How many dead people you've seen walking around lately? In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. So he's saying, you're, you're doing, ultimately, you're ultimately doing what you want, but you're actually serving another master. Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, biggest words of Ephesians, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So if anything, the virgin birth shows us that this is something that God had to do. We can't save ourselves. God had to have Jesus come, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die death that we should have died for everything that we've done wrong for us. For God's glory. Another, another reason why I think it's really important for legacy. We've, we've talked a little bit about Jesus' sinless life. Um, Jesus can relate to us when we're struggling and when we're tempted. Jesus has been through everything. Jesus has been through everything you've been through and more. Add up every, everything of everybody in this room and Jesus has been through more. Jesus was able to live a perfect life on earth. Think about that for a minute. I can't go 10 seconds. My mouth gets me in trouble every 25 seconds, roughly. I could probably almost calculate down to a minute if I had a stopwatch. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. He's saying that this is something that should encourage us. When you struggle in prayer, realize, because if you've ever, if you've ever had just rough weeks, or you're, just, you're, you're hateful to your spouse or your children, or you've had a rough week at work, Jesus can sympathize with you. He's had tough times here on the earth, yet was without sin. This verse is telling us to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Not because we're good, but because God's good. Because Jesus is good. The Muslim God can't do this. He's completely separate of us. He can't do it. Other gods who claim to have walked the earth, they didn't live a sinless life. They can't do anything for us. This is unique to Christianity, the fact that our God suffered, tried, attempted in our place, was able to do it without sinning. That's something unique to Christianity. The last thing I think we can learn from this is, um, and I've stated, I said this a little bit, a little bit ago, Jesus' virgin birth is tied directly to the truthfulness of Scripture. If you deny the virgin birth, you deny that the Bible is the Word of God. It's that simple. It's a package deal. You can't just cherry-pick what you want out of the Bible. You can't say, Exodus is inspired. I don't like James. That James is a little odd. I don't like him. You can't do it. You've got to take the whole thing or leave the whole thing. Whole enchilada or no enchilada? Pick one. You've got to do one or the other. Um, let me read this quote real quick. I thought this was, I thought this was very helpful. If the virgin birth is untrue, then the story of Jesus changes greatly. We would have a sexually promiscuous young woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, raising that son to declare he was God, and then joining his religion. But if Mary is nothing more than a sinful con artist, then neither she nor her son Jesus should be trusted. Because both the clear teachings of Scripture about the beginning of Jesus' earthly life and the character of his mother are at stake. We must contend for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. That's why it matters to us here at Legacy. This is more than just an obscure, weird, strange doctrine. This is something that we have confessed as Christians, and we will confess here at Legacy, because this is something that has been confessed for 2,000 years and finds itself in Matthew and Luke's accounts of the Gospel. So why does this matter to Knoxville? I've said why this matters to us, the controversy behind it. Um, mine was the easiest, because it's like, well, he's virgin-born. That's controversial there. I mean, pretty easy. Why does it matter to Knoxville? Why, why is this important to Knoxville? Why is this important to people around us? Why is this important to the person that sits next to you in a cubicle? Um, the virgin birth was the first part of Jesus coming to earth to accomplish a mission, to die on the cross for sins. It's the first part of God's plan of Jesus being on the earth. Our mission as a church is to tell others the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died in everyone's place that puts faith in him. Um, he lived a perfect life. He died a death that he didn't deserve as a sacrifice for all who believe in him and is one day coming to reign again. That is why it's important to Knoxville. If this is true, it has eternal implications. If this is not true, let's go home. If this is not true, there's no point in me standing up here. I'm the most of all men to be pitied, Paul said, if Christ didn't raise from the dead. If, if he's not born of a virgin, if he didn't live a sinless life, if he didn't do this, let's go home. Let's just abandon the church. If he did, eternal consequences. 
Another thing unique to Knoxville, I think, is we have a city that works really hard at justifying themselves. Maybe not to, uh, maybe not to each other, but just be to yourself. You ever say to yourself, ah, I'm not that bad, I'm pretty good. Virgin birth shows us that Jesus was sinless and that we can stop justifying ourselves. We don't need to justify ourselves. Jesus was sinless for us because we can't be. Jesus was able to do what we can't do. It's not our actions that save us, but it's being saved by grace through faith because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which all started with the virgin birth. Package deal. So, in light of all this, let's consider Larry King again. In light of everything I said, let's consider Larry King. Jesus Christ is who I want to interview, and he said, I would ask him if he was indeed virgin-born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Does it define history for you? Is this something that's a fable that should be thrown out because I can't believe it? Or is this something, is this God coming to earth doing what we couldn't do for us? It's one or the other. Larry King says it changes history, and I completely agree with him. I never thought I'd quote Larry King in a sermon. But I completely agree with him. This changes history if this is true. So as you think about that this week, just think about the fact that the virgin birth is the first part of God coming to earth. The virgin birth is, is, was necessary for everything else to follow after it. Of course it's essential. Like, like, like I said earlier, if you can swallow the resurrection, if you can swallow... I mean, we're going to be raised from the dead one day. That's hard to swallow. If you can swallow that, if you can swallow all the rest of this, if you can swallow the Red Sea being parted, if you can swallow Jonah being in the belly of a whale, if you can swallow uh, Jesus coming back, Revelation, if you can swallow that, if you can swallow God creating the universe out of nothing, surely you can swallow the virgin birth. It's essential to Christianity. It's essential to us at Legacy, and we are going to confess it as a church. Let's pray.